You're listening to the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity. Before we head into today's interview, I'd like to say that if you have any questions or suggestions for me, or would like to talk about any of the episodes or themes, you can send me an email to rachel at victoryonemedia.com. That's R-A-C-H-E-L at victory, one spelled out as in O-N-E, media.com. And I'd be really happy to have a chat. So now for episode four. I'm excited to present today's guest, Andrew Kimball. Andrew is a young graduate lawyer working in environmental law. He talks about growing up in Sydney and being fortunate enough to have a big backyard and loving exploring the environment from an early age. We talk about volunteerism versus actually making a difference overseas and recognising the need to help out back home as well. Andrew shares really honestly about growing up going to school chapel, doing Christian studies, and finding at the time that the Christian faith didn't resonate with him at all. He then speaks about how a few short years ago he wasn't searching for God and was even pretty cynical about Christianity, to now having, in his words, excitement and joy in knowing Jesus. So it's a really refreshing and very interesting story, and I think it'll resonate with a lot of you. Here's my conversation with Andrew Kimball. So I grew up in Taramara, which is on the north shore of Sydney. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then I moved to Arunga when I was about nine, but yeah, childhood in Taramara. And how was that? I was pretty fortunate. Had a nice, I remember I had a pretty decent backyard. Square and Yeah, yeah. And as I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to realise that that was very, very lucky indeed. Mm. And were you a kid that enjoyed school? Uh, I didn't. It's quite funny looking back on it. In kindergarten and year one, I hated to read. I hated it. Mm. And I remember in year one, we'd have like these boxes of books and I would always choose the, like, the really easy ones and take them home. And if dad was reading them, he'd get upset because I'd bring home like some basic picture book mm-hmm. but yeah I didn't really I was very much like a outdoors type of person like I loved all kind of well I weren't really sports at that age but all that type of physical activity stuff I love that but inside the classroom wasn't really particularly engaged I don't think or motivated what changed for you uh, so reading wise when I was in year four have you ever heard of Brian Jacques, like the Red Wall series? No, I haven't. All right, what's this? He he wrote these books. A guy called Brian Jacques wrote his books, and it was based on these characters who were like um, animals, but they were like human, humanized, and they had um, it's kind of like medieval, set sort of medieval type thing, and they were they'd go have like these adventures, and there were um so like the the good the good guys were like the um mice badgers squirrels the bad dudes were like foxes weasels ferrets and so it's kind of like 
probably worth saying like Game of Thrones for really really young kids. It's <laughs> probably a good way of saying. Yeah. And that, but that's what started like my passion for reading. Wow. It was amazing. Like, and these books were pretty decent, like size and also content. Yeah. But yeah, that just sparked it, and then I loved reading from then. So yeah, that, that's what sort of got me more engaged. Do you have like a first memory of church or God or yeah, at all? Yeah. Yeah, so in, in, in kindergarten, the, and this is, when you asked me these questions, like that came to me instantly. Mm. Uh, we're in kindergarten and so it would have been like six or seven. And the teacher asked, I'm pretty sure she either asked if you're, if you're a Catholic or a Jew, like one or the other, stand up because we were about to have scripture class. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but I was like, oh, being a Jew or... Being a Catholic sounds fun, so I stood up. <laughs> and then the person, the teacher in media was like, "No, Andrew, you can sit down." <laughs> so, but I like um, I was at that age. I was spelling my name. I used to get B's and D's confused. Yeah. So I'd be spelling my name, Andrew, rather than Andrew. <laughs> so I think it's just true to form. Just trying to break the rules. Yeah, <laughs> that's very. Funny. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be yeah, like that was like my first memory. So we. Yeah, like my first scripture class. And I I had no idea what I could... I'm pretty sure, actually, I think I'm pretty sure it was Jewish. I had no idea what Jewish was, but mm. that's what other people standing up. Like, no. <laughs> so you join right. in? Yeah. <laughs> cool. And um, what are some of your other early memories when you were a kid? Anything that stands out? Yeah. So actually, even though... Because I, I like to be outside so much, I I, I just I had, always had like a really... like. Um, crazy imagination mm-hmm. so we had a tree in the backyard we're at Tamara the backyard in the tree in the backyard and I used to think it was some kind of like tractor or something so I'd spent literally hours just sitting on it like pulling the branches and pretending <laughs> I was moving around it. driving the tree yeah yeah <laughs> which like the neighbors probably thought this guy's like a lunatic <laughs> but I, I was, I was really fun and yeah because when you're a kid you can just make fun of everything yeah and then my dad's mum lived and lives up in the Blue Mountains. Mm-hmm. So we'd often go up and see her. And my dad's sister's also up there with her kids. And she had a really cool, at that time, a really cool place. Sort of like right on the edge of one of the national parks in Blue Mountains. Mm-hmm. I think it was like in Blacksland or Blackheath. And they, they had these dogs. So when we would go up, we'd always play with the dogs. And because their place was backing onto the national park, we used to do this game where we would, um, because at that age, the dogs were like faster than us. And because also my brother and sister have pretty crazy imaginations. So we'd go down to this behind the house. It's like 200 meters of grassland before the bush. So we'd get sticks and then we'd we'd throw the sticks because the dogs love getting the sticks. And then we would pretend they were some kind of like wolves or something that would come to chase us because they, they always love to return <laughs> the sticks. So we'd throw the sticks and we'd try and like get back up to the house before the, the dogs came and got us. And the poor dogs are so confused. Yeah, yeah. They're like, why would you play with me? <laughs> but yeah, but so we, we'd like pretend there was some kind of animal that were, that were chasing us. Yeah. And they, yeah, like, I, they were like, um, yeah, they were, they were really sort of fun, fun, fond memories. Nice. And um, with 
any of those early memories of the environment and, and outdoors and all that, did that sort of spark your interest in, in going into environmental law eventually? Yeah, well, I think I've always been interested in the environment. I just just so curious and fascinated. Never, like the, the law side of things, that was like, that came way later. But yeah, I've always mm-hmm. been interested in the environment. Mm-hmm. We actually, we... So I'm probably a bit of a menace at home. We converted our pool into a pond. Cool. Because we stopped using yeah. <laughs> we stopped we stopped using the pool. Turned into a pond. And because Karinga Council, like they're pretty big on sustainability. So yeah. they've got this program that you can you can do. So they give you some plants and some fish. People thought and probably think that it's lunacy, but it's actually they're really it's really cool. Because before we didn't really used to use the pool, even in summer. Mm. But now it's become like a place to go out, have a look, see what's going on. Very cool. Yeah. And we also, we got a beehive last week too. That's like a native beehive. But yeah, that was me again, just doing things on my family's behalf without really telling <laughs> They just came home and there were some bees. Oh, so they got like a huge waiting list. So it's like a year and a half. Right. And these bees are stingless, so it mm-hmm. doesn't bother anyone. Cool. But yeah, yeah, I've always yeah, just always been interested in the environment, mm. and not from like the hippiest perspective, mm-hmm. just more like out of the curiosity. Right. Yeah. And at what point did the law side of things come up for you? I was in year eleven, and I went to some careers counsellor. She always she asked me all these questions, and she came back out with this at Macquarie University. You can do. It's Bachelor of Environment and Bachelor of Law. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what I was most suited to. Yeah. I was like, oh, that sounds pretty good. And then she was saying you need f- to do that because then she said the UAI. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty ridiculous. Mm. She said, you have to do five hours of study a night. And I was like, oh. Wow. <laughs> Did you do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it worked no. out okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it worked out all right. But no. Yeah, when she said five hours of study, I was like, oh, come on. Mm. And so when you got to uni, you did some interesting stuff there. Are you able to talk about the Peru Challenge? Yeah, yeah, Peru Challenge, yeah. That was, that was a really cool one. I, cause I, I, would always, I was, always wanted to go to South America. Mm-hmm. And then I saw like, these pamphlets up around uni, this trip that you could do to Peru with Peru's Challenge. And because I'd been to, I went to China with a group called Antipodeans. I don't know if you ever heard of them. No. They do um, it's like community service type stuff as well. I did that in year 11 at school. That was really fun because, uh, like, yeah, I love travel and, and um, helping out less fortunate people is also something I've always enjoyed doing as well. Where do you think that came from? Uh, I don't know. Intrinsic? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I, d- I don't, because I, I wouldn't say I'm like the most, I can often be quite selfish, but I've, I've always sort of enjoyed helping people who are less fortunate. But anyway, when I, so when I saw this, this poster, I was like, oh, I'd love to go to Peru and doing this community service stuff would be cool as well. Mm. So I, I applied, because I saw it the day before the applications were due to close. So I applied that night and then, I um, got in. And it, was, it was really cool. That that bunch of people who went, 
they were because it, it, you get selected for it and that particular one link because it's in peru macquarie does a whole range my, my universe has a whole range of of community service projects around the world preparing that peru one's the most popular mm-hmm. so the people who get selected are generally like pretty interesting and special people mm-hmm. so yeah like that that group i was in there were some really cool some really cool people and yeah it made it um yeah it made it like a really enjoyable experience with with those people and then peru's challenge itself like they're a pretty like often westerners will get criticized for doing volunteerism i think it's called yeah right. and they're sort of they're more of a hindrance in developing countries than an actual um aid to those those places because they just fuel a particular industry who just want their money. Whereas Peru's Challenge, they're, they're really careful with who they work with, like the communities they partner with, and they make sure the work they do is sustainable in those communities. So it meant that when we went over there, we weren't, obviously we had to pay money, but it also meant that this, the work we were doing over there actually had some value as well. We weren't just, um, we weren't not being of any kind of assistance. Mm. Was there an experience uh, while you were over there that sort of stands out for you? We, we went to a, a soccer game, which is pretty cool. Because mm. South, South American, in general, South American soccer is pretty different to anywhere else in the world. So that, that, that was pretty cool. Going to Machu Picchu was pretty special. Mm. Cusco. So we, we were based near a city called Cusco which is like like the gateway to the Inca Trail or something. Like it's a really it's a special historical area. And Cusco is really cool. But actually the whole area is pretty pretty good. Like it was a pretty it was it was a if you want to do volunteering anywhere, Cusco is probably the place to do it. Mm. So yeah, those those memories stand out in particular. Before we went out to Peru we had to do all these like two days worth of pre-departure meetings. And there was this guy, so out of a group of 20, only three were guys, the rest were girls. And the of the three, there was this Chinese guy. And I remember when I walked in, like, cause I, was, I was sat next to him on like the first day of our pre-departure stuff. And I was like, I tried to talk to him. He didn't really seem interested in talking. He wouldn't really get involved because we do like group stuff. He wouldn't really get involved. I was like, how did this guy get selected to be in this scene? Doesn't seem <laughs> like, doesn't seem interested. He doesn't seem right engaged. He doesn't seem like he's got any kind of personality. But then, so I, I got to know him in Peru, and he's mm. one of the coolest guys around. And we're 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 still friends now. And he he has such a passion for helping young children. Mm. So he he's an internet. He was and international student from China doing his degree uh, at uni. Mm. He'd spent a few years down in Melbourne beforehand. So so he came to Australia when he was like 18 or 17 or 18 with no English and like learned English and getting like his Western education. And yeah, so I got to know him and he was like, he was a really cool guy. But when I first met him, I was, I was, yeah, I thought this guy's not cool at all. <laughs> and like, yeah, we're we're still really good. We're still really good friends now. We it's often catch funny up. How that yeah. happens, isn't it? Yeah, and he's he's 
he's like heir to some he, his dad runs some huge company in China mm. when you first met him you're like that wouldn't you wouldn't think that right but then as I got to know him it's like yeah this guy's got amazing potential and how did you respond to seeing the poverty and, and things in Peru? Was yeah. that confronting? I guess so like we, we, were, we were briefed on it beforehand mm. and also stuff like so domestic violence over there it's not really considered domestic violence because culturally they view things differently. Same with animals. Animals aren't pets animals are either generally either guards or food so i i was yeah i sort of prepared myself and i some we'd seen i'd seen some stuff in china which was like ooh. and obviously you can always see stuff in the news but it's always when you see it yeah, like live it can be pretty confronting mm. but yeah we were at the same time we were also pretty fortunate it wasn't too much Poverty, really. Um, but we did. Well, like I saw like the treatment of animals. That could that was a bit like confronting because, yeah, especially like the dogs. Dogs weren't pets; they were guard dogs. Mm. And yeah, if you're used to patting dogs, you get a bit of a rude shock when you go <laughs> to pat yeah. one of these ones. Right. And then um, also at uni, you did the Global Leadership Program. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was... That was um, not as... Yeah, I, I really enjoyed... I really enjoyed Peru's challenge because of what we did and, like, it gave, gave you a great perspective on on um, on life in Australia compared to other places in the world. But I did do something pretty cool within the Global Leadership Program so you have to do kind of like Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme. You've got to do certain things to get points and stuff like that. So I heard about this program called a Spark Program. And it was run by St. Vincent de Paul's Society. And it was, you mentor refugees. And they, they're, based, they're based out in Western Sydney. And I'd kind of, so I'd come back from Peru and I was sort of thinking, why why am I so interested in wanting to go overseas like thousands of kilometers away to help people in need mm. when there is so much need in my own backyard and it's it's so much more glamorous to go overseas and and do work. Yeah. Put photos on Facebook. It's really interesting. You can have conversations. Plus you're going on you're doing tours and stuff like that. Whereas in Sydney, it's far as glamorous, but it's no less important. So I did yeah. this, I did this thing for for six months, and it was once a week out of school in Granville. And so, the way this one worked was, you had one one kid who was a refugee. So my guy was from the Sudan. He was at that time eleven or twelve. When I first met him, <laughs> he had a bit of he had a bit of attitude. This kid. And he, because um, I'm, I'm pretty, like, pasty. <laughs> he, he, he was, like, really, like, black. And he was, I think it's like, he's like, man, you're so white. <laughs> I was like, I'm being trash-talked by this 11-year-old kid. <laughs> what am I going to do? What a terrible start. But it was, it was really, 
it was, it was, it was pretty, it was, it was challenging. These, so my, my kid, he, his dad wasn't in, in Australia. He was back in the sedan still. Mm. He, um, I think he had like four or five brothers or sisters. Mm. So like we spent most of the term, like we'd, I was, I was meant to mentor him. But yeah, it, it was it was certainly challenging, confronting, and even going out to Granville. Granville's like a compared to leafy North Shore. Granville's a, a different world. Mm, culture shock. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah it's it's um, it's completely different. <laughs> right. Yeah. And but yeah, I, I still I still enjoyed it because I I would hope that the kid I was working with got some benefit out of it. And I, I certainly learned a lot as well. Yeah, right. So yeah, that, that that was one good thing that came out of global leadership program. It, it it was easy to do something like that just to sort of resume add. And I never want to do anything that just looks good on a resume. I'll only ever do stuff that I think actually interests me. Yeah. And so that so that's why I did that that particular program. Cool. And at what point did you start going to church for the, yeah. was it for the first time or? No, so I I had the school I went to, they are a Anglican school. So you had and I, I was there from a young age. So I had many years of chapel, many years of Christian studies, and many years of boredom. <laughs> it was it was pretty like it's like no fault of their own it's um yeah it's like an unfortunate reality of being at a private school trying to teach religion to kids mm-hmm. but i do one of the things so in middle school my head of house he was he was a he is a christian and he would hate in chapel how quiet everyone was when we were singing because everyone was just most people weren't engaged when we're seeing the, the hymns. So he he would he would because his church he came from they have a big singing tradition. And he he'd be like to us, you need to sing these songs loudly. And because we all respected him heaps, our house, which is like two hundred people, when we were in chapel work, we'd sing the songs really loudly. And then he would and we didn't like I just saying it to make noise. I wasn't even even know what I was really saying. I think my favorite one was "Shout to the Lord." You nice. know that one, yeah. Yep. So that, <laughs> that, that worked pretty well because yep. you're literally just shouting. <laughs> but then we we would do, um, and then he'd be like, oh, "Okay, no, this time don't don't sing the hymn. See what happens." And it was so much quieter. Mm. So yeah, so that, I guess that that was my experiences of church before mm. then. And it hadn't really resonated with no, you. No, mm. not at all. So then, so when when I was in Peru, I met I met a girl who um, really nice girl. And when we went back in Sydney, we started seeing each other. And I didn't know at the time that she was a Christian. I think I think in Peru, I didn't know she was a Christian. And so we, we sort of like started seeing each other and then like I found out that she was Christian and then I realized like how much it meant to her. 
I was like, whoa, I don't think I've ever met someone who's so devout before. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first time I went, I went to her, her church. And it was more, I think it was out of just like support. Like, oh, yeah, I'll come and see. Yeah. See what your church is like. And I remember first time walking in. So my church background is Anglican, going to chapels with like pews, organ music, like pretty toned down. I went into this service and the seats are like comfy seats. <laughs> the church is a, more like a building. There was TV screens and there's this band up the front. And I was like, what is this? And then the, because I also, because I thought I was pretty smart. So I used to take great delight in analyzing the, the Christian condition and finding like all these problems with Christianity and all oh, type yeah. of stuff. So uh-huh. when I was walking, I was like, <laughs> walk into the, the, the heart of it. I can see what's going on. And so like when the mess, then when the bit about, um, tithing came up I was like ah financial frauds scumbags <laughs> when the when we were um, I think the message person started like speaking this weird I didn't know I didn't know it was tongues at the time mm-hmm. I was like this person's like anyone else listen to this this person's like babbling away in some kind of weird thing <laughs> and then um, like I took like great pride in like that first I took great pride in when I said like Head, heads bowed and this is prayer. I like my head up, just looking around. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and the first time in church, I thought, this is pretty wacky. Mm. But I do remember, like, the very friendly, friendly people. But maybe, but like, that also would have been because people were probably curious because I was this person coming with this girl and like, oh, I wonder who that is. But yeah, first time, certainly a eye opener. Mm-hmm. That, that first experience and when did it become more of a reality for yeah. you yeah so with with this girl we were sort of we were on again off again and this was going for a number of months and it got to a point where uh, like some some things happened but got to a point where uh, this girl, she's like, I, I can't be with a non-Christian long-term. I was like, oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> and then so I decided, <laughs> a few days later, I was, like, I was like, oh, I'll become a Christian. So we met, I was like, I decided I'll become a Christian. And she, she said, she's like, that's great. But it doesn't really work like that. Mm. I was like, what? No, surely not. Jeez, you just say it. It's like, no, nah, it's it. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't really happen like that. I was like, I was like, okay, fine. So then, that point, we we kind of kind of stopped seeing each other, and I really sort of started to investigate my if if I had faith. I wouldn't say investigate my faith because I didn't have any. So I started to investigate if I had faith. Which is amazing because my, like where 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 I was coming from was someone who had absolutely no desire to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. I had no 
my my life was completely like I thought it was going fine. I didn't think that I needed any kind of God in my life. So what was fascinating was that this girl would start that process and I think it was a and this is the crazy way how God works because I'm sure that if I had met this girl and she'd gone to another church I'm which I'm not sure I'm quite certain that I wouldn't have come to faith but the combination of this girl and that church that I went to or she went to created such a that really sort of resonated with me even though I was coming from like an Anglican tradition this is a Pentecostal church so polar opposites what do you think it was about the Pentecostal church that did resonate with you I genuinely have I th- well, I wouldn't say no idea, but um, I think the concept of the influence of the Holy Spirit is a real powerful influence, obviously, but um, from someone who wasn't coming from that kind of thinking, I think that's the way it was. But yeah, so like this, so by, by this stage, like from me first coming into church, and me saying, having this conversation with them, like, oh, I'll become a Christian. That was a few months. So over the next few more months, I really started to sort of investigate it. And the reason why I don't think that, I think the church, like the combination of church and this girl was because I realized pretty quick that just saying that you're going to come to any kind of faith you have to do it for yourself. You have to come to that for your own reasons. Yeah. So I was like, you've got a pretty big incentive to become a Christian because you've got this girl saying who she, she can't be with a Christian, non-Christian long-term. But she wasn't saying that if I was to become a Christian, we'd go out. But she was saying she just couldn't be with a non-Christian long-term. So I, I started to go to some other churches in my area and those churches are Anglican churches and didn't didn't really do it for me. Like I, I didn't get the same sort of enjoyment that I got out of going to the church that I go to now. And I mean, we often, like even on even on the weekend, I think the the senior pastor was talking about how they had a wedding the day before, and people were saying, "Oh, what is this place?" Like I had. Like I know that feeling because that's what I experienced, and it's quite it's quite incredible. So yeah, so I really sort of started to investigate. And I, I started to listen more. Well, actually, I started to listen in the when sermons were going on. I never prayed. I but I I, li- I listened, and what was great about this girl was that so we we would still meet up at uni like I think it was like once a week or something we we'd chat and inevitably we'd chat about faith and she was she's fantastic in her patience and her her knowledge of 
of her of of her faith and how like she's experienced faith because I I would I'd ask or try and ask really complicated questions and probably kind of like annoying questions I'd imagine <laughs> maybe to sometimes like to provoke her but she her her patience was pretty pretty incredible so I so this happened like over a period of months and then I started to I started to realize that the concept of having faith in this, this God, someone like Jesus would die for your sins, started to make more sense, which is interesting because it like ha- having faith is like faith is something that you can't really rationalize because it's it's not something you can see. So it, that wasn't. Like, and for me, that was a really interesting sort of place to come to because, like, I, the, the year previously, I would have, like, laughed at that person. Mm. So I, and I was also really fortunate in that a number of my friends from school are Christian. And they were, so I'd, I'd meet up with one in the city, because I was working in the city at the time. We'd often have lunch and we'd chat about things and he was really cool about it answering questions and also like I'd talk about how his faith has impacted his life. So I had I had all these other people who were interested in and supportive of me. And then one week I went to one of these friends' church that had a guest speaker and his what he spoke about was nothing like flash. But then he said could we just bow our heads in prayer? I found I, I found that I was doing that. <laughs> I started to pray, like I was praying along with him. And then I was thinking, like after I was like, "Wow, what does that mean?" I was like maybe I do believe. And so then that that following weekend, put my hand up when I was in um, in church. I was like, "Yeah, this is for me." Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Mm. So it was more of a long sort of exploring and seeking God. Yeah, yeah, because I had to be, I mean, people listening to like, oh, this guy was trying to to get the girl. And I could 100% see why people would have thought that. And that's saying that I would like to think that I'm pretty self-aware. And like I said, it was something I came to realization pretty early on that I could only be doing this for me. Yeah. Because it would be a stupid thing to, first of all, say you believe something and not believe it. And also to say you believe something to try and be with someone else. That's a terrible foundation to have for any kind of relationship. Yeah. So I spent that time really, really thinking about is this what I'm doing and is this for my own motivations because I actually believe it or is this because there's this cool girl who I'd like to date and that was something I really had to sort out which is very uncomfortable it's a very uncomfortable thing to have to think about because I I think I was 23 at the time I was like I'm too young to have to worry about about this stuff (laughs) but it's a crazy way how God works. 
And then so in the Pentecostal church, people might not know, but you more commonly get baptized in your teens or adult life. You got baptized last year. Hmm. Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, was a, that was a really cool cool time. So I so I had, I became a Christian uh, sort of October of 2013, November, October of 2013. And back then, my church had a program called Basics Express that I'd run every Monday night and it was like five weeks of the basics of Christianity. So I was going along to that. So I'd just, just become a Christian, started going along to these these um, basic express stuff and the final one one of the staff at the church they came in and they said we're having baptism soon we'd we'd like you all to get baptized and i i did i did not feel comfortable getting baptized which was one of many uncomfortable feelings that i um i had but i didn't didn't feel comfortable and I rationalized it by saying that I was baptized when I was a kid when, mm-hmm. I, was a, when I was a boy and it's different I mean, in the Anglican tradition you get confirmed in Pentecostal tradition you get water baptized but I I at that point I was I was just not comfortable doing it so then um, months passed and the, it came around September and one of the, like the young adults pastor is like, hey man, who have you got baptized for? And I was like, nah. He's like, do you want it? I was like, yeah. And I think that was because, um, I mean, I tend to, I tend to think, I don't, I don't, I don't think I overanalyze, but I certainly think about stuff. And I was thinking about my faith and I was at a stage where previously I didn't want to admit it but I didn't want to say that Jesus was Lord over all my life which is what I think what a baptism is like you're you're telling everyone that I believe in Jesus he is my Lord it's a public declaration and I didn't want to say that because deep down I didn't want him to be like Lord of everything. <laughs> yeah, it's just right. nice to be like, oh, you can have some stuff, but I'll keep some to myself. <laughs> but so anyway, so by, by this point, uh, when this when the young adults pastor asked me, I was like, yeah, I'd love to get baptized, which is bizarre because I was I didn't even have a second thought, and like I wanted to do it. Mm. And which was also bizarre because at that time, um, so I'd since started going out with that girl again. We started start dating like February of 2014 after like a number of months of not dating. And that relationship like wasn't going well at all. And like we both knew that it was quite close to ending. So what fascinated me was like in that context, I was given every reason to be like, I don't want to get baptized because I want to turn away from God if this relationship goes sour. But I didn't. I wanted to say, even in light of that, Mm. I want to tell people how much Jesus means to me. Mm. So I got baptized. 
So going back to your work, um, you're now working as a graduate lawyer in environmental law. So what do you love about that? I, we do some pretty interesting things. So we're not, we, we don't do, like often law firms would do stuff like wills and estates and conveyancing, mm. which I think is, hopefully not offending anyone, but I, for me that'd be quite bland, boring. Mm. Whereas we, we don't we don't do that stuff, we do like policy writing. We um get asked some pretty complex questions that require complex answers. Mm. So it's not it's it's intellectually stimulating and it's generally pretty interesting work. So yeah, I that, that that's why I enjoy it. And I enjoy my firm. Like we went through a big transition last year. And a number of people left and things got sort of rebuilt from the ground back up. And the people there currently are really sort of um, fascinating people. They're not like your stereotypical bland and boring lawyers. So that, that's also fun that we have, we have good chats about things and they're, they're well-informed and they're, they're passionate people. So that that also that's something that's also enjoyable about working in environmental law. Mm-hmm. And is it exciting to work with, I guess, environmental issues and maybe advocacy after you've loved it all your yeah, life? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like environmental law, it's not actually uh, that can mean a whole range of things. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah, we've like the work I've done hasn't always been like for the good guys because mm-hmm. it is a business at the end of the day. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's, that was always like a bit of a bit of a problem. Is that sort of tough then? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, because it's like the realities of, you know, the realities of needing to make money. And plus, I'm like a, a lowly person. So, it's not like, <laughs> like this is outrageous. Yeah, you can't right. Do this. Yeah. But no, it, it's certainly, especially now, it's definitely more upsides rather than downsides in the work. Nice. Hmm. And then with your work and, and church and everything, what does day-to-day sort of look like for you? Yeah, I don't actually have a routine. because mm. And also can, because I've... So the past, since August, I've been at a thing called College of Law. So that's something you have to do if you want to become admitted as a solicitor. So I've been doing that technically full-time, but I've still been working two days a week. So I work two days a week, study three days. But general stuff would be I certainly, I can't say I read my Bible every day, which hopefully is not condemned universally. (laughs) But I certainly, I I pray numerous times a day. Mm. And that... um, that certainly started happening. I got pretty sick at the start of the year, and I found that um, like slowing down. Because I used to always think you should be if you're busy doing stuff, and that's part of the reason why I got pretty sick. So yeah, slowing slowing down. Um, that's something that I've really sort of incorporated, 
so like so during the day so often pray at different points and then do some kind of exercise i'm i'm a big fan of crossfit Ah, oh, you're a yeah. CrossFit person. <laughs> yeah, and what I find hilarious is that people are like, oh, CrossFitter. It's almost like, oh, religious person. <laughs> but, yeah, but I would encourage people to, yeah, I mean, first of all, I don't really understand. Like, people have different motivations for hating, hating on CrossFit. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, because I used to think, oh, they're just like glorified weightlifters or not like not weightlifters like glorified um fad people mm-hmm. and then i finally got to go to a gym because my soccer season finished and these guys were and girls were like were legit and the the coach it's the one i go to the coach is really good and he really knows his stuff and the people there are really cool and it's really humbling when you think you're fit and you go do like one of these workouts and a middle-aged woman beats you. <laughs> and it's not meant to sound condescending or anything, but it was like you just, you think that you're at, like a certain level. Yeah. And there's a person who you would not think, like you would walk past in the street, you'd be like, you're not fit. <laughs> and they beat you. So yeah, yeah. that's also like something that I do. Cool. Um, as well as part of my day. Nice. Yeah. And I'm interested to know if um, if there's been a particular Bible verse or Bible story that sort of stood out for you. Yeah. Yeah. I really love this concept of... Because I've, like, I've often sort of wondered, like, why, why do I get so much, like, satisfaction in knowing Jesus? Like, like why, why is that? And... Part of the reason, like, so when, like, when I got baptized, because, like, b- beforehand, I wasn't sure if if certain things happened, I wasn't sure what my, how my faith would be. Mm. But then after getting baptized, like, I just felt this, like, security in my faith. And I was, I've, I often, like, wondered about that. And there's this verse in 1 Peter, I'm just... So I do it justice. And it's this idea of joy in knowing in knowing Jesus. So it's it's one Peter chapter one, verse eight and nine, and it's though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I, I just I love those those two verses because there's the idea of your filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what that's that sort of feeling that I have, and it's so uh, exciting and also surprising because, as I was saying in church a few weeks back, I, I even when I first became a Christian, like I wasn't the most like spiritual person, and yet I'm in a Pentecostal church, which is like renowned for being spiritual and I like I'm filled with this great excitement of knowing Jesus. I think that's that, those two verses that's something that really resonates with me. Are you able to sum up what you believe in your worldview now? 
Yeah, I used to, as a, as a 25 year old, uh, yeah, I used to, I, before I met other people from around the world, I was like, that place is stuffed, that place is stuffed. And then, so for example, like my friend from China, he he comes, even though he, he is affluent, he's, he's well off, his view of China is not the same view that I have. Mm-hmm. So I've always sort of like, I've increasingly become conscious of me using my own context to sort of project what I think there is, what the circumstances are like in other areas. And that's not to say that some areas are genuinely like in a terrible place. But yeah, I'm, I'm someone who's certainly, I'm an optimistic person. And I think people, and also as a Christian, like we believe that even though everyone needs Jesus, we still love everyone. And I'm an eternal optimist when it comes to comes to people. But yeah, having like a worldview. Yeah, I don't really I don't really have one. That's all right. Yeah. How would you sum up your faith? Uh summing up my faith. In what in what way? I guess like just when you boil it down, what what do you believe? I believe that Jesus died to save our sins. And because of that we are able to have a relationship with God. But it's like another thing that sort of really resonates with me is that I just get this real excitement in being able to say that I know Jesus. Like I I really sort of like I often like wonder that because like my, my family aren't Christian and I most like most of my friends aren't Christian most people I spend time with aren't Christian and yet I'm someone who's and I, and I wasn't someone who like by worldly standards was like a, a broken person or was needing some kind of saving even though even though we all need, even though we all need Jesus, like from a worldly perspective, like yeah, I was all sweet. So yeah, I had this idea of like real joy in knowing Jesus. It's like it constantly sort of astounds me, and I think it's, it's why the church I go to is a great, such a great place for my faith because, and also for so many that that church, I'll give a shout out C three Church Ride. That that one is certainly it. It, it does change people's lives. I think it's because there are key people in there who are just so they are always trying to pursue Jesus and while that can sound a bit like corny I think it means that their actions they they will do certain things and I think it shows that that's why our church is doing so well because the people are so passionate about Jesus and and the reward for it. Mm. I think it's cool that you're able to articulate that joy and everything you have yeah. in knowing Jesus because the you know Jesus loves you can become quite yeah, you know, yeah. a bit of a joke, a bit corny for people yeah. that haven't experienced that. Um, 
So, Andrew, I'm interested in in what you would have to say to people who, like yourself, don't feel like there's something missing, don't feel particularly needy or broken. What would you say to them about finding Jesus? From, I think if you approach it from the perspective initially that this idea of faith is weird because it is before you sort of understand it, if you it's like first looking at it, it's like a weird concept. If you approach it from that and then you start to go deeper, I think you, you'll you start to f- realise that certain things that you'll feel are not... Are, are things that are the works sometimes of the, the Holy Spirit and that's those feelings you're getting in the works of the Holy Spirit in you and I think perceptions of Christians can be perceived as being judgmental and you can see perceptions of certain Christians or Christian organizations on the media in the media which are untrue so I think if you get to know Christians who, who truly who truly believe in and follow Jesus you will you will see a side to them and see why they are the way they are. And when I when I did that, and it's with a church like church like Ride, you find those people who are really like pursuing Jesus. You can't help but wonder why that is. And then once you become open to that, then I think you'll find that there is something more to life. And then, hopefully, um, you'll see some changes. And uh, we'll finish on this one. What are your hopes and aspirations for the future? Yeah, I was giving a I was giving a presentation to a group of potential law students. So they're in Year Twelve, come to my university, and it was like a law information evening, and. Because I don't, my show tonight, I don't know, but I don't, like, I, I write down dot points, I don't write out speeches. And I said, I, one of my things was, I have no intention of being like anyone else. And then I was thinking about it afterwards, like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, that's, what is it, yeah, is that like, is that supreme arrogance or what? So I've kind of, like, I used to, I think I used to be wanting to be like a CEO, like a big head honcho. And that, as I've grown older and obviously as faith has come into play, that's not, that doesn't, if I end up there, then that's fantastic. But what really, one of my hope and aspirations for the future are that I would always maintain that real satisfaction in knowing Jesus that's something I really want to sort of hang on to because it, that's a pretty special feeling. I want to grow in, because I'm quite fascinated by how like how people work together and how certain people can make people work together. I'd love to grow in that. And I'd also, I'd love to, I would hate to end up in, doing work that doesn't interest me. 
So that would be saying that I'd love to end up in being able to do work that I can say I really enjoy. So yes, that, that would be my hopes and aspirations. Sparrows and Wildflowers is brought to you by Victory One Media and hosted by Rachel Simpson with artwork by Nicola Gibb.